most times people when they think of Freemasonry, it's like, oh, we go, you know, they go to lodges and they plot to take over the world all, you know, or do all this nefarious stuff. Pinky in the brain. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, what do we want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night. Try to take over the world. Take over the world. Have you always found yourself fascinated on the subject of Freemasonry? Will you find yourself at the right spot? I put together a mini-series, and I'm going to kick things off. I got to sit down with a third-degree Mason named Brady. He told me about his experiences and also the spiritual implications of aligning himself with Freemasonry and the generational curses that he found. Once he got to digging, he found out his family had all kinds of ties with his organizations. I'm going to follow this episode up with a part two and several other deep dive episodes on what is Freemasonry and breaking down Albert Pike's morals and dogma. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey, guys. All things continually lead back to serpents, dragons, fairies, Nephilim, and fallen angels. In the distance looms a mystical mountain. As Mike Heiser used to say, if it's in the Bible and it's weird, it's probably important. At its peak, a great fire burns, concealing the Prometheus lens. This development of this knowledge that's being talked about within the mystery schools. An ancient artifact said to reveal the hidden truth within a deliberately darkened world. There is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. Join us as we travel and explore the vast unknown. It's a hero's journey with dragons to slay, damsels to save, and innumerable treasures to hoard. Torches high. The Smithsonian, they'd call wind of a giant skeleton. They would send their agents out to get it. But it takes courage to move forward, to move out of the shadows, out of the uh, unreality that we think of as reality. We are all on the hero's journey. Mankind has been in contact with and influenced by extraterrestrials. Leave the Sitchin mound of bull feathers out of it. You know, look at it from a different perspective. A different perspective. Different perspective. Different perspective. As a podcast editor, I know what it's like for long nights. And sitting at the computer and your eyes just start to go down. You're nodding out, trying your best to finish your workload. You can slam down a bunch of monsters and Red Bull and slowly kill yourself. Or you can go with God's Nectar. KWR Joe's Coffee Company. They're a proud sponsor of the show. Check those guys out. Many times I uh, drink me some of that Flightline Joe. Perks me up, man. Gets me going. Without all the jitters. Helps me power through projects. So, help support the show. Help support a brother in Christ and a small business owner with Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company. 
All right, what's happening? What's up? Hold out your glass because we're about to fill it up. Welcome to the Prometheus Lens Podcast, the place where the conversations are always enlightening. Now, as far as uh, Freemasonry goes, that's a hot topic and it's been a fascination of mine. And if it's a fascination of yours, then you've landed in the right episode because today we have uh, a good brother in Christ that has come forward and he's speaking about his experiences with the Freemasons. He is a third degree Freemason. Uh, but before we get started, just some little context for everybody's before we get rolling in and I introduce our guests. Uh, but with Freemasonry, it's often claimed that Freemasonry is the oldest surviving secret society in the world with numerous, numerous beliefs about the beginnings. It seems to point toward ancient and esoteric origins. It's been variously argued that it derives from practices of medieval stonemasons and that it dates events surrounding the construction of the Temple of Solomon and is connected with the ancient mystery cults. The creation of the Grand Lodge in England in 1717 is often seen as a major turning point or events of the history of Freemasonry, and the order became more visible to a wider public for the first time. George Washington, Ben Franklin, and a large majority of the founding fathers were Freemasons. In recent years, there's even been connections made with Jack the Ripper. But the only requirements to be a part of this fraternity is that you be 18 to 21, be quote-unquote freeborn, and believe in a supreme deity, which they like to call the divine architect. And their motto, which I've heard say, is they make good men better. So who can argue with that? I'd like to introduce today our guest, Brady. Brady, thank you for coming on, man. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I'm humbled by it, actually, so. So uh, it's, it's amazing how fascinated people are. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm 36. Uh, we, you know, as we like to say, I'm a knuckle dragger. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a CNC operator. I actually just got promoted to the lead hand of our shift not long ago. Um, been, uh, you know, mostly just in the trades. Did a little stint in finance for a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, for career-wise, that's just been, I'm, you know, a trades guy. <laughs> I like to fix things and, you know, tear things down and rebuild them and stuff. So. Uh, that's kind of uh, what I do now. When I was in finance, so one of the things when you're you know self-employed, you got to kind of get your feet on the ground and try to find business, right? So when I was self-employed in finance, I wanted to kind of network myself, and so I came up with the the bright idea to join the Freemasons. So. And, uh, you know, so I started doing some research because you always hear the conspiracy theories about, uh, you know, the things that go on there and how they, you know, run the entire world and stuff like that. And uh, I would say it's, it's not 100% accurate, but it's pretty accurate. So so I got in, I, I started researching it to figure out how to get into it. And because uh, I was always under the impression that you had to be invited uh, into to the Freemasonry organization. Um, which is actually not true. Um, you can just literally go on whatever uh, area you live in. You can go on their Grand uh, Lodge website and they'll have an application and you literally just fill out the application. And they have a saying, to be one, ask one. Um, like it's even on the license plate covers and stuff like that sometimes, to be one, ask one. Um, so, because their numbers for the longest time uh, were starting to dwindle uh, once the internet kind of came out and uh, social media became a, a good way to network yourself for some people. Um, they didn't necessarily need the fraternities anymore, right? So, uh, yeah, so I got in. And so there's actually 
quite the process to get into it. All right, so you fill up your application or you're invited in, whichever one, uh, whichever route you go, and they will contact you and kind of figure out uh, the general area that you're in and give you like a list of the different lodges that uh, are in that area. And then you just basically choose which lodge you kind of want to go to. Now, I had meetings um, in the evenings with finance, so I had to pick a lodge that uh, met on a night of the, the week that wasn't during those meetings. So uh, I just happened to pick a, a good one that I liked. And now in the building that I was in actually had 12 different lodges that met in that specific building uh, because it was owned by uh, another group called the Scottish Rite, which is actually uh, basically an off branch of masonry in a sense. And so I would meet there and, and I kind of went through the, you know, the initiation. So they, they contact you, they will, you know, you pick a lodge, then they contact that lodge, then the lodge contacts you and basically they'll do what they call the investigation where they'll send out three master masons and those three master masons will sit down with you. If you're married, they'll sit down with your wife as well and, you know, just kind of have a conversation with you gauge the type of person that you are, um, explain what they expect you to do, what, uh, you know, you're kind of expecting out of it. Um, just really have that, you know, I guess three on one conversation. And then they take their, uh, investigation report back to the lodge and the next lodge meeting, they end up, uh, basically voting on whether or not they want you in. And so they'll come around. So they have a guy with a uh, little box and it's got, uh, black balls and white balls. And so he'll literally just go around. You pick a black ball, put it in, or a white ball, and put it in. Uh, if you get one black ball, you're done. You'll, you know, you're never getting in. Um, so you have to have all white balls in order to to be voted in. So generally, um, I've never like I, I saw a few. I voted on a few people to get into the lodge that I was a member of, and I've never seen anybody get blackballed. I've heard of a few cases personally, but I've never actually witnessed them. And and again, I think that's just because the numbers had been dwindling. So they're like, anybody who wants to get in, let's get them in kind of thing. And so, yeah, so I went through. I was in for uh, a little bit, not not too long. Um, I wanted what to. What year was this, Brady? So I started the process in 2012 was when I actually started the process of um, picking a lodge and getting voted on and things like that. And then. I got my master masons, third degree master mason in November of 2014. So and it took you about two years to go through the process? Yeah, yeah, uh, which is actually quite fast, to be honest. Um, generally, it's a little bit longer than that. I ended up going through my first two degrees within the first year. Um, but they typically, it's a year per degree. Um typically anyway, but again, they just, my lodge was so, we had nobody, like there was, we, we barely had enough guys to make a lodge is what they call it. You have to have a certain amount of master masons in the lodge. And we had members, but we just didn't have people actually showing up. And so that was one of the issues. Like when I got in, I was the youngest member in my lodge by 15 years. <laughs> so, you know, like, and I got in, in my, my mid twenties. So, um, I got in later than some of these other people, but then we started getting people, guys that were coming back and then bringing their, you know, young sons in and, you know, they, they were becoming, you know, generational masons, um, which for me, I knew that I had masons in my family. I actually didn't find out until this past weekend, um, who they actually were. So, 
I knew that I had uh, a great aunt and my grandmother who were members of the Eastern Star, which is the women's uh, sector of Freemasonry. But in order to be a member of the Eastern Star, you have to have a direct family member who's a Mason. And so, you know, it's got to be like a father or an uncle or a brother or a grandfather, something like that. And I'd never known uh, who it was, but this past weekend we had our Canadian Thanksgiving. And so, uh, you know, my mom and I were talking about it because she was actually asking me about my Bible. Because somebody, a friend of hers was telling her about uh, a Masonic Bible that had a whole other chapter in it. And mom was like, oh, is like, do you still have your Bible? Is there like another chapter? And it's like, yeah, there's the very first chapter in the book in the Bible uh, is the Master Mason's chapter. And so it just goes through all this, this other stuff. And I'm going to, I'll show it to you in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found out that it was actually, uh, my grandmother was an Eastern star. Great aunt was the, uh, an Eastern star. I had a great uncle and a grandfather and a great grandfather who were all Masons. So I have quite the generational uh, curses going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Generational curses. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. And family's opening doors and then you are opening yeah. doors and that just leaves room for stuff like that to creep in. hundred percent. Like I, w- I was, wasn't born Roman Catholic or I wasn't even born Christian. Um, I did when my mother, uh, my mother divorced, uh, when I was four and then she remarried when I was eight. And then, so he had two daughters and my mom had my, myself and my older sister. Um, I'm actually the youngest of the four of us. Uh, so three older sisters. So that was always nice. I had and two. There you go. <laughs> so you know what it's like. Um, so when we moved, uh, the area that we moved into had a, a really dungy, uh, looking public school and then it had a really nice looking Catholic school. And so my parents were like, you know, what school would you guys like to go to? And I was only in grade two at the time. So, um, or like, let's go to the Catholic school. It's nicer. I want to go to that one. So then we had to, you know, get baptized and do all that, uh, you know, the first communion and stuff in order to actually attend the school. So, um, that's kind of how we got into it. And then I became an altar server for quite some time. And, uh, but then by the time I hit about 12 to 13 years old, um, I just had a really off feeling about the church in general, especially my specific church like the we found out um a number of years ago now that the priest that uh was there when i was a child was actually uh touching boys and uh so he pled guilty to that a few years back um the high school the catholic high school we went to same thing one of the teachers was molest well a few of the teachers were molesting girls one of them was admitted to it and, and you know pled guilty um there's a whole lot load of girls that came forward about it so you know, so my instincts of, of where we were going were, were pretty good, pretty spot on, unfortunately. Um, so I just, I had this real negative outlook on religion. Um, so I kind of went the other way. Like I met, I met some people and went the complete opposite dark side, I guess, and started getting into the witchcraft and, you know, uh, and then from there kind of in, into the new age when I, once I was in my twenties and stuff and, so yeah, we did a, you know seances and spell casting, you know runes and tarot and and just everything that you're not supposed to do, <laughs> yeah. so, you know. Um, so which I think was what helped amplify, because like you you know you already got the generational curses from all these you know masons in the family, and uh, you know and then as you're getting older you're starting to 
do all this stuff that you're not supposed to do. You're literally just, you're inviting them in, you're kicking the door down for them, you know, yeah. um, for this, this oppression and influence. Like, you know, I wasn't possessed flying, you know, crawling up walls and stuff like that, but there's been like 2011 is kind of a blur for me. Um, I don't really remember much of that year. Um, then I had, uh, mental health issues, uh, to the point that I tried jumping off a cliff in 2013. Um, and the interesting story about that was so it was shortly after I got into Masons and I, by that point I was a second degree and I'd already taken two heavy oaths, um, hand on the Bible kind of oaths. Um, and then my mental health started to really slip. I was going through some personal issues and, uh, I just had enough. Um, like I was thinking about the next, you know, 50, 60 years of my life. And I was like, I don't like, I just, it was unbearable. The thought of it was unbearable for me. And so like, I'm standing on, uh, this escarpment in the area that I grew up in and, uh, which ironically was, uh, right down the street from a place called the devil's punch bowl. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I was, I was trying to, you know, think of everything to get me to walk back from that edge. And I just, nothing, nothing could do it. And so I went to go forward and I, the way I describe it is as if I was had like a bungee cord attached to my back. And I was at full extension when I kind of went forward and it just shot me back because something grabbed me and pulled me, literally physically yanked me back. Wow. And it was like, no, not like this. And it was just, at the time, I kind of uh, chalked it up to like, because I was very reason it. Yeah, like I was very new age at that time. So it was like, oh, like my spirit guides, you know, like they were the ones that stopped me, you know, and now I'm like, nah, that was my, that was 100% my guardian angel coming down and, and, you know, pulling me back from making a very bad eternal mistake, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because that's just something like my uncle. So uh, one of my uncles, who was one of my best friends when I was in high school, he ended up committing suicide. He did it with uh, liquor and a handful of pills in a motel room. So. Um, that put me down a very dark road when I was in high school. Cause by the time I was 14, 15, I had an alcohol problem. <laughs> so I was already an alcoholic by the time I was 15. But, and then by the time I hit 16, I was uh, real heavy into pills and, you know, skipping school, coming home, you know, five o'clock in the morning kind of thing, skip, uh, sneaking out of my bedroom window and going out and partying. And then he killed himself and that made things even worse. And then my grandma passed away about a year later um, and I spiraled, I spiraled out of control. Um, and then by the time I was 18, I almost had a heart attack because of all the drugs that I was on. I tell you, Brady, uh, you know, we've talked over messenger and stuff a lot mm -hmm. and yeah, I think we've kind of bonded cause we're both, uh, you know, same cloth kind of guys, but it's like, when I hear your story, I know why we connect so much because God, man, we're, we're so similar, but the only difference was, was I grew up in church from day one and my grandparents were, you know, praying grandparents. My mother was a praying mother and, and my rebellion kicked in once I, you know, got like 15, 16 years old. I just went full rebellion and just like you, man, uh, just partying, doing drugs and even delved into, you know, a little bit of witchcraft with some people and doing seances, trying to, you know, just, do all this rebellious stuff and I've had uh, many friends die in car wrecks. Uh, I've 
rolled cars off mountains before and walked away without a scratch. You have a seatbelt on, uh, friends overdose and die right in front of me doing the same amount of stuff that I was doing. And it was just, uh, like you said, it's, we can chalk it up to, or try to rationalize that, you know, Oh, it was my spirit guide or, Oh, I, I was just lucky. No, I mean, that, that, that was God. And it's just, uh, really cool that, uh, but you're being, you know, open and vulnerable like that and just sharing your story with us. I really appreciate that. That, you know, that connects some dots for me. That's like, a, that's why we're, we're connecting here. Well, to be honest with you, it's up until like, I, I didn't start praying. Like, I mean, my girl and I, we just moved to where we're at now in uh, April, end of April, early May. Um, and like, I was, you know, we, we spent about a year looking for a place. And during that time, like I was making offerings to, you know, low key, lowercase G gods at that time. It wasn't until this past, you know, end of February or early March that I literally, I woke up one morning and just had this unbearable need to pray, it, which was the first time in over two decades that I was like, I prayed. I, I you know, like I was just, I woke up, it was very confusing. I, I to this day, still can't understand it. Um, so I was like, but it was just like this overwhelming feeling. Like I'm like, I need to pray. So I did. And so like, you know, I, I remember, you know, the, the Lord's prayer from Catholic school and stuff. So I, that was what I did. I just prayed that a couple of times and then went on about my day. Didn't think any, any more of it. Then the next morning woke up, same thing. Like I need to pray. I need, and, and so it became very confusing for me because I'm like, why, why do I feel like this? You know? And then from there, it was like, uh, I started finding podcasts that were because i i big into the paranormal i love the paranormal stuff but i wanted something that came at it from a, a christian view and so that's kind of where i started with that you know and, and it's just been it's been this journey you know um over the last i'd say nine months now where it's like like even my parents are like who who are you <laughs> like you know because like, i'm in my infancy stages of, of coming back to christ uh you know i won't deny that um but I've been I've been really soaking it up for me. So it's like I'm a very private person. So for me to even want to you know come on the podcast was a big deal. But I just felt like I needed to. Like it was something that God was like directing me to do because the words got to get out. People like I want you know if I help just one person stay away from doing you know some of the the, the crap that we did that you shouldn't be doing. Um, you know that's good good enough for me. You know so. Yeah. Um, that's why I, I want to been wanting to share my story with the Freemasonry stuff. People don't realize like most of the guys in it, you know, and again, I'll, I'll just speak from my experiences. Like I don't, I don't speak for anybody else or any other lodges or anything like that. I just, I, I'll speak from what I've seen. Um, most of the guys that are there, it's a boys club. It's a night out. It's a night away from the wife, having a few beers, at the lodge, you know, shooting the breeze. Most times people, when they think of Freemasonry, it's like, oh, we go, you know, they go to lodges and they plot to take over the world, all, you know, or do all this nefarious yeah, stuff. Pinky in the brain. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, what do we want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night. Try to take over the world, right? Like, yeah. uh, unfortunately, that's, it's a false way to look at it. Like the lodge meetings are there specifically. Um, it's, and it's, I don't, you know, mean to be blasphemous, right? comparing it to church, but it's kind of like church where it's just more of the ritualistic side going there to 
do your, you know, like when you go to church, you go there to, to praise God and learn about God. When you go to, you know, Freemasonry Lodge, it's literally there to, um, basically praise the brotherhood, go through your, your, you know, if you got initiations or you're bringing somebody up through the ranks or you go through lodge minutes, vote on candidates, things like that. Um, the nefarious take over the world planning all happens outside of the lodge at country clubs, you know, and cabins off in the, in the wilderness somewhere. Um, when they're, you know, just shooting the breeze with each other. Um, lodge is just strictly more of the rituals, right? So, uh, thankfully for me, uh, I stayed relatively, like I started to go through what they call, uh, going through the chairs, which is, uh, you have all the different officers throughout the lodge. Um, can't remember the name of them all. There's like junior deacon, senior deacon, junior warden, senior warden, Tyler, Tyler. Worshipful yeah. master, the other seven. So the worst, yeah, so the worshipful master, right? They're the head one. So, and then after you've been worshipful master, because they rotate uh, the people through the chairs every year. Once a year, they they'll rotate. So every year, you've got a, a new worshipful master for that entire year. And then after you've been the worshipful master, they you get the title of what they call the past master, and then you can actually. So when you uh, like, so I have uh, I have one of the rings here that I had. So. That's my ring there. And so depending on if you were a, uh, if you haven't been a worshipful master, you wear the symbol one direction. If you are a past master, you wear the symbol a different direction. And the past master actually has their own symbol as well um, to signify that they, they're a past master. Um, you can get one for your car too. Like if you're a past master, you can actually put a past master symbol emblem on your car. Um, I had help with the law enforcement. It does. <laughs> it, uh, it does. So I had a, some lodges, I guess, will give you one. I had to buy mine. Um, it, it was $10 on, at a Masonic store. So I was like, whatever, the money goes back to the, the brotherhood, right? So I was like, support local, cool. So I bought this demo and I stuck it on the back of my car. And uh, I specifically remember one time uh, I was driving a little faster than I probably should have been. Uh, not too crazy. I don't, I don't have a, as much of a lead foot now as I used to, but um, driving a little bit fast, got pulled over and I kind of see him as he's walking up the side of my car, like, or up to the side of my car, I should say, kind of do a double take at my bumper. And uh, like, I know he noticed it right away. And so he pulled me over and, you know, he comes up and he does one of those things. Uh, uh, it's just like, you know, uh, there's different phrases, right? There's different different little phrases you can say. You a traveling man? You a traveling man, right? And yes, and I, 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 don't, I, for some reason, always get this backwards. It's west to east. For some reason, I kept saying yeah. east to west, but You're it's traveling west to, to the east to the light yeah, in search of light. So it's, uh, and then you know, then they'll ask you like, oh, what's your your mother's name? And that is in reference to the the name of the lodge that you came up in. So mine was Temple, right? And it's like you also give the age, which is you know uh, the number. So what's your mother's name? And then you say like, in my case, it was Temple three two four, right? So uh, I'll say my mother's name is Temple, and she's three hundred and twenty four. And uh, if those guys ever hear me giving these secrets out, you know that's fine, bring it on. Um, but yeah, so it's it's. Then he, he, you know, he was just kind of like, you were going a little fast, just keep it slower and, you know, have a good day and walked away. And that was it. You know, so it's, it's one of those things where could have got a ticket, you know, and I joke, I'm like, it was near close to the end of the month, you know, he might not have been at his quota yet. <laughs> so he could have, yeah. you know, easily given me a ticket and uh, he didn't, you know, um, 
just because I was part of the same or I've never met him. Like he wasn't part of my lodge. I don't know who he is. Um, but there's just, they're everywhere. You know, how do you, how do you, it's how a do you worldwide fraternity? Yeah. How do you control the narrative? You infiltrate every industry, right? Like Hollywood, politics, policing, you know, the judicial uh, system, like judges and lawyers and stuff. But then you've got uh, the other side of the coin too, like me, like knuckle draggers, right? Like uh, you want cheap labor done on your house. If you're a plumber, cool, right? Like we had a guy uh, at my lodge that owned a, a car dealership. So guys would just buy cars off them, right? Because why not? Go get it, go get it at cost instead of retail, right? Um, which is one of the reasons I got into it in the first place is I wanted more customers for finance. The only problem from my side of things was I was competing with another guy who was in finance who, you know, was also a 33rd degree. Um, so, uh, we kind of used to bump heads because he was very old school in his thinking when it came to investments. And I was a little bit more new school and I was outperforming him and, uh, yeah, it caused a little, little rift, which is one of the reasons I got out. Um, among other reasons, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it is, you know, quite the boys club. And it's funny. Cause like there's that Simpsons episode, right. Where the stone cutters and, you know, he's like, Oh, here's the envelope for your car, you know, dial this number. No, nine one two is the, now the number, not nine one one. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of fact in that, you know, where they take care of each other. There's also, you know, I've, I've never personally experienced it. I don't like to, to fly. It's very painful for my ears. Um, cause of all the scar tissue on my eardrums. Um, uh, so I try to only travel where I could drive to, but, uh, you know, there's the, the, the saying that you can travel the world on a penny, right? It's, it, I knew guys that would travel, uh, to places like Peru to do missionary work. Um, and you know, they would literally just go down to the local lodge of whatever area in Peru that they were at and be like, you know, go through their little initiation, uh, or investigation, sorry, to prove that they're, you know, a Mason outstanding, uh, upstanding, you know, Freemason. And they'd have a place to stay for a month, you know, and somebody that would house them, feed them, you know, take them around, you know, and then there's like different uh, signs of distress, they call it, which is kind of like a, a placement of hands. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you could stand in with your feet at a right angle in a crowd. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's it's all about the way you're standing, your hands, the way you move, certain phrases that you say. Um that the average person's not really going to pick up on, you know, they might think that it's a little weird, but you know, everything's weird nowadays. So, um, if you know what you're looking for though, you see it everywhere. So like yeah. you could go to an airport and just kind of throw up. Now they tell you never to actually use the sign of distress unless you're actually in distress. Right. Like, um, but I've heard stories of guys where like, where the, you know, they needed to get home for whatever reason, their flight gets canceled, you know, and they would just throw up, the sign of distress in the airport and within five minutes they got somebody helping them out, you know? Um, so you, you hear those types of stories. Um, and that's, I think where people get a little angry <laughs> it's like the average person can't do that. Right. Like, and that's where a lot of, I think the rumors come from is, is like, Oh, you know, they're just, they're a secret club. Well, that's what's the best way to keep something secret hiding in, in the plain sight. You know, that's why you see the lodges everywhere. Like even here in, in Ontario, where I live, every little town and city that you drive into, they'll have like a welcome to, you know, town and they'll have signs with all the different clubs that uh, have uh, different clubhouses or whatever in that town. And then you'll see the Masons on them every time. 
Mm-hmm. Like uh, it, almost every city has one. Almost every little town has one. They're they're literally everywhere. Um, you know, and then you've got the Knights of Columbus, which is like the Roman Catholics version of the of Freemasonry. Because if yeah, you're they, they try to compete with the Freemasons and made up their version. Yeah, because they they rec- realized how popular that type of like fraternity uh, brotherhood was becoming. And then the esoteric and, too. I mean, everybody wants yeah. to know secrets, man. Hundred percent. You know, yeah. everybody wants to know They're, the secrets. Hey, I, I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you know that I don't know? You know, yeah. and and so that's that's and they go right back to like you were saying in in the intro, like uh, you know they they quote biblical. T- uh, stuff like b- biblical texts like the king solomon's temple and, and the third degree um initiation is actually a mock killing so you play uh the higher beef right which was the the master mason hey guys what's up tom dunn here from through the black we have launched our new ministry outreach no more dead babies and the website is no more dead babies.com we want you to go to that website and get a free t-shirt okay um and uh we want you to join the movement okay we need soldiers to step up and say that they're going to be a voice for the voiceless okay guys we've never done anything like this before this is a big deal and i don't know who all is ready for it out there but it's time to step up okay and we're asking you to go to the website and order the shirt. The shirt is free, but you gotta pay for shipping, okay? Um, and uh, we're gonna ship it out to you as soon as we get it. You, you tell us what size you need, and then we're gonna send you the t-shirt, okay? Join us. Uh, the goal is to get thousands of these shirts out. Keep pushing this. I think this boldness can be contagious, contagious, contagious. What's going on, guys? I wanna take this opportunity to let you guys know that we also recorded a Supernatural Experience episode that we released to the All Access Pass holders back around Halloween. I talked to Brady in this session for almost three hours. He had uh, just some breathtaking stories, just mind-bending stories about some of the supernatural experiences and stuff that he had that was related to these generational curses and this this Freemason uh, connection. So if you are an all-access pass holder, be sure you go to your feed and check out that episode. I think we called it uh, Generational Curses. And if you are not an all-access pass holder, head on over to PrometheusLensPodcast.com. Sign up. It's easy. Very painless. 33 cents a day gets you all-access pass to members-only episodes. Early access, actually, you get 48-hour early access to all episodes. You get exclusive episodes. You get access to the private community. And we also have monthly chats and Q&As. Come join us on the hero's journey. And also, keep Brady in your prayers. Brady's been having some health issues here recently. So any kind of prayers that you can send up for him, I know he'd greatly appreciate. So back to the episode, guys. You play him unknowingly because you have no idea. You've never seen this ritual before. You have no idea what's going on. Um, and if you're a second or a first degree Mason, when they open the lodge, so they have they open it in first degree, then they'll open it in second degree, then they'll open it in third degree. And if you're a second degree, you can't be in the lodge. So I, I've actually been to meetings where I literally had to sit in the hallway for over an hour because I was only a second degree. I wasn't allowed in, in the lodge. So when you're getting going through this initiation you have no idea what's going on and all of a sudden they just got guys attacking you uh quote unquote attacking you with uh like a blunt object 
you know, to, to reenact the murder of the master builder, Hiram Abiff, right? Because he was the one that, you know, oversaw the building of King Solomon's temple. And then, you know, the, the phrases for uh, their pass grips, uh, their handshakes are, you know, Boaz and Jachin and, and Shibboleth and um, Tubalcain. You know, so like all biblical things and like Boaz and, and Jake and I think it was, uh, were the two pillars in yeah, Solomon's temple. Right. So it's very, one it's was all representing strength. The other one represented uh, wisdom. And when you combine <laughs> wisdom and strength, that gives stability. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you've done your reading, you know, yeah. what, what do you need me for? You, you got everything. <laughs> oh, no, I, I don't have firsthand knowledge. I just That's read. True. true. <laughs> Well, to be fair, um, like most of the ritualistic stuff is like you can find it online easily uh, if you know what you're you know you're looking for. Uh, like you you were saying, you've been reading uh, Morals and Dogma, right? So that talks a lot about it. Um, there's another good one, uh, Duncan's Ritual, something like that. Um, what was it called? I'm going to look it up right now. It is. Uh, I was literally just looking at it this morning. Uh, Duncan's Masonic Ritual and Monitor. It's written in 1866, so it's a little, little old school in the language. Um, but that one's also got um, literally every every ritual f uh, f from the first to the seventh degree, I think it is. Um, and so it, it just you can find everything you want. Like if you want it online, like my mom was like was asking me on the weekend. She's like, "Oh, like aren't you going to get in trouble? Like if you're, you know, giving away these secrets and stuff?" And I was like. <laughs> I mean, the worst they're going to do is just blackball me from, you know, the fraternity, which to be fair, like I, when I, like, I've never actually officially quit, right? I just stopped going. <laughs> I stopped going. I stopped talking to them. I deleted them off my, my profiles and stuff like that. I changed my phone number and, and my contact information. I just, just kind of disappeared from them, from them, you know, and I had contact once from somebody that I knew prior to joining and uh but aside from that like i've never never had any backlash and i think it's because back in the day yeah maybe like in the 1800s you know before technology if you were given these secrets oh yeah they probably would have done what their penalties say they're gonna do right like i don't know if you've uh did you have you read in, into the penalties yet yeah they used what the uh the the three men that killed hiram a beef when they asked him when they asked one each one individually if they uh, had killed him, uh, each one of them said a different phrase, like, no, may my tongue be torn out and my, mm -hmm. my heart be stabbed and all this stuff, and which I'm just paraphrasing because I'm shooting off the hip here. But each one of them ha said some kind of horrific death, like, no, I would rather you do this to me than I kill the, the Grand Master. Mm -hmm. And then they proved that they did, and they admitted it, and they used their own words against him. They, they punished and tortured and killed them with the words that they had spoken yeah i've got the actual penalties i can read them off to you if you want yeah go ahead because uh they're quite uh quite nasty i mean obviously that i don't think they'll get away with it these days <laughs> but you know back in the day i could see it so it's uh yeah having my throat cut across so this is like you saying like you know i solemnly swear that if i you know divulge any secrets or I, you know, uh, do anything that I'm not supposed to do as a Mason that, you know, you guys can do this to me as a punishment. And it's, so uh, under no less penalty than that of having my throat cut across, my tongue torn out by its roots, 
and my body buried in the sand, the rough sands of the sea at low water mark where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours. Should I ever knowingly violate this, my entered apprentice obligation? So that's number one. Number two is, um, under no less penalty than that of having my breast torn open, my heart plucked out and placed on the highest pinnacle of the temple. Um, uh, some say uh, my heart and vitals taken from thence and thrown over my left shoulder. And uh, there, but so basically my heart plucked out and placed on the highest uh, pinnacle of the temple, there to be devoured by the vultures of the, of the air, should I ever knowingly violate my fellow craft, which is the second degree. And then uh, the third degree is uh, no less penalty than that of having my, my body severed in two, my bowels taken from thence and burned to ashes, the ashes scattered before the four winds of heaven, that no more remembrance might be had of so vile a wicked and wretch as I would be, should I ever knowingly violate this, my master mason's obligation. Yeah. So back in the day, those were taken literally. Like, it, like if you violated any part of your obligation <laughs> that's what would happen to you you know but now but you never know i mean nowadays i mean they still might with those the groups within the group like you talk yeah. about the guys smoking cigars and drinking brandy after the show yeah know. like people people disappear all the time right yeah. so um i uh i've ne like i've never had since i've started talking to you about it it's been more of a spiritual warfare than anything um like right down to just feeling like a really heavy energy. Yeah, heavy and dread, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's like all, it happened to me. So I got home from work. I, I work the, the afternoons, right? So I my shift's actually from uh, 4 to 2.30 2 a.m., but I'm starting early, 1, 1 30 in the afternoon, working to 2.30 in the morning. I get home literally between 3 and 3.15 in the morning. So a witching hour. Right, great time to be getting home at. Um so I came up to bed uh, the other night when I got home from work, and it was just the, it was just this heavy, heavy. I couldn't like it was almost like I couldn't breathe. Um, and even my girl got up. She's like, "What's going on?" Like, cause, like I couldn't sleep. Um, I was trying so hard. I, I, you know, every time I would fall asleep, it was like I would wake up in a panic. Um, and it's as it was literally the same night that we were planning uh, to do this, like the night that we had started to, uh, you know what time when in the well, you know, what day kind of thing um, when we were discussing and planning for this, it was the same night. And it's like every time that I'm going to do something with a podcast, it's just something always happens. Um, you know, the, the first one, uh, my wife, uh, she had a, a blowout on the highway going into work the morning of. So it's like, I got no sleep for the first podcast that I was on. Uh, second podcast was same thing. I can't remember what it was, but something ended up happening. Um, I don't think my headphones, were, my, my, my headsets weren't working properly. They couldn't hear me at first. It was like just weird, all weird stuff always happens um, around the time that I'm, I'm going to be speaking about stuff. So Yeah, it's just spiritual um, warfare, which I was going to address the uh, the three degrees and kind of mm -hmm. the uh, the rituals. So but you started with the third one uh, and basically – how you said they were reenacting the, the murder of uh, Hiram Abif and they come at you and, and they pretend, you know, to kill you. And it says that they knock them to the ground mm -hmm. and like you are dead, you know, and they, uh, your brothers pick you up and basically it's like a resurrection. Yeah. Like it's a, a rebirth of, of the new man. 
So that mm-hmm. that that's the uh, the final ritual. But to yeah. lead to lead up to that, like the first one, uh, the very first initiation is uh, give me just one second. The rite of uh, destitution. Uh, could you describe that for us? Uh, like, you know, uh, the whole, uh, did they do the whole uh, open-breasted shirt, pant yep. rolled up? Describe that and that experience. So when you first get there, um, you know, you, you basically kind of meet some of the guys. Um, and they'll have, uh, one of the members is designated to uh, walk you around and, and be by your side through the entire initiation. So they'll, they'll take you into this little room like a little closet almost and uh you in there you get changed because um you got to wear a suit when you go to the lodge right like that's that's their dress code is you got to wear a suit and so you know you're there in a suit and then all of a sudden they take you into this uh closet room and they're like okay you got to change into these basically they look like pajamas Mm -hmm. so they almost remind me of the way i describe it is like um in the movie the patriot with uh long johns the white long johns yeah, kind of right. Like those that weird undergarment of the, of what they're you know people used to wear back then, um, and the shirt's got a flap on either over either breast, and so the reason for that is in one degree it's it's the left breast and the other degree it's the right breast, um, and then so depending on which degree, so the first degree I believe it was like um, the left left, left pant leg rolled up, left breast open, um, you're. You're literally blindfolded or hoodwinked, depending on which lodge you go to. We used to blindfold at our lodge. Some lodges will literally put a hood over your head. Um, and then you have uh, a tow rope, a cable tow around yeah, a your neck. A noose around your neck, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so that's what they're guiding you by. So they, you're basically like your, your, your arm is locked with the, the other mason who's leading you through, but he's holding on to the tow rope. And then they, do, they start the ritual. So you're outside of of the actual lodge room and the building that I went to was massive. It had three different lodge rooms in it, uh, of all different sizes. And so ours was, we used the smaller one because our lodge was generally pretty small. Um, so you're, we're on the third floor. So you're standing in the hallway outside of the lodge room, uh, blindfolded, ready to go. And then they do the knock on the door and there's a different knock per degree. I don't remember what, I think it's like, uh, one tap, then one, two, three, or something like that, or one, one, two, um, for the first degree. And, uh, so then they, the, the inner guard, they'll open the door and they have a whole, it's like, oh, there's an alarm at the door. It's like, oh, see to what the alarm is, like old Shakespearean kind of talk. And they open the door and they instruct you to take a step in and you go to take a step in and then you get all of a sudden you feel a poke on your chest over your heart. Now, um, they have a sword. You're supposed to use, uh, I believe, the square for the first degree. I don't know if it's the square or the compass. It's one or the other. But um, they're supposed to use that. But some lodges use a sword. We use the sword uh, at my initiation for some reason. Don't know. Um, but you know, that, well, that's how the original rite was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike again, talked about it. yeah. And yeah. He, and I love he talked about the symbolism behind it. This is stuff that the common man don't think about. Mm-hmm. And he was like the left pant leg was rolled up to show there was no shackles. Yep. You are a free man, freeborn, and you are also not a slave to your ideologies. You know, you're a free mm-hmm. thinker. And yeah. then the the left uh, breast was opened up to show that your heart was open to enlightenment mm-hmm. and knowledge. But at the same time, you're exposed to danger too 
with, with, yeah. with the blade. I thought that was, I mean, that's just stuff that most of us just look over, you know, I know I would have. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I, I looked over going through it. Like I didn't realize half the stuff, uh, until years later. Right. Um, and, and that's a good point. Cause it's like, it's also like with the left breast being open and, and allowing yourself to be in danger, showing, um, them that you are willing to give yourself to the organization. Yeah. Right. It's, it's that symbolism of like, Hey, I got nothing to hide. Um, I trust you guys and you know, here you go. Like if I do something wrong, this is what it is. And so, yeah, so they open you know, uh, up the door, they let you in, they poke you in the chest with a sword. <laughs> and uh, then they have this whole thing where like, you know, um, you need a password to get in. And it's like, you know, the, the Mason's whispering in your ear what to say. And it's like, I don't have the password. And then it's like, well, who has the password? And then the other Mason would speak up, I have it for him. And then he'll say the password. And then they, you know, you got to repeat it. And then they, you know, let you in. And they go through this whole, uh, most of the ritual is, is really uh, walking you around, showing you to all the different members um, and you saying different phrases. And then you take an oath, the oath on the Bible with your hands on the Bible. And so the, placement of your hands on the Bible during your oath is actually the placement of your hands when you're giving salutes, I, I guess you could call it, um, to other members, right? So like, uh, however you have your hands on the Bible. Uh, so it's like, I think it was like this for the first degree where your hands are kind of like one hand on top, one hand underneath, and you have like one hand on the page and then another one underneath like the second degree. Um, and then you also have like, alluding to the penalties, uh, like a salute is also kind of like for the first degree, cause like they talk about cutting your throat across. So like, that's actually, um, almost like the salute. Like literally when you're, when you're talking to the worshipful master, um, before you do, you got to like salute, you know, that's the salute. Like it's it, <laughs> how the, the penalty of how you would die is, is how they salute. So, so yeah, so then they bring you around and then they, they literally go through a lot of that, like that, a part of, of the, the ritual, the biggest part of the rituals is actually just explaining every little different symbol to you and, and the symbolism behind why they're doing certain things. Like they talk about uh, the rough uh, ashlar, which is like just a really rough stone. And, you know, so you said in the beginning, the Freemasons have, they use the phrase, making good men better. Right. Yeah. And that would be a great, uh, you know, thing to strive for if that's actually what they were you know, striving for. Um, and so they talk about the rush Ashler. Um, so it's a rough stone. And then in masonry, as you get, you know, better in like actual stone masonry, they use stone masonry to, and make it, uh, what's allegory. The word? thank you. Allegories, right. To, to everyday life. Right. So like, you st uh, and then going, th same thing with going through the degrees. So like, um, when you are in your first degree, you're a rough stone. When you're in a second degree, it's, you know, partially rough and partially smooth. And then when you're in the third degree, you're a perfect squared, you know, block. And so they use that of, uh, you know, and they, they explain that in the ritual, like why we talk about this, like, uh, you know, the rough Ashler, like alludes to your character as, as a Mason and, you know, learning through, uh, the degrees. And this is why it's supposed to take a little bit longer than a year per degree, because you're, you're not supposed to just kind of go through the motions. You're supposed to actually, you know, learn things. They, they tell you to learn about the sciences and, and geometry and mathematics and, you know, cause like the lodge is checkered 
checkered floors. It's it's laid out. Every you know, the worshipful master sits in the east, and so the lodges are the regardless of how the building is built, the room will be laid out that the worshipful master sits in the east. And you know, um, then you have like the trestle board that shows. Uh, the different tools and talks about, you know, again, same thing, like what each tool represents. Like they have, they have another saying, uh, we'll meet on the level and we part on the square, right? So it's like we, we meet, we're equal. It doesn't matter where we rank in society. When we're in the lodge, we are equal. You could have the president and you could have a homeless guy if he's a Mason, which I wouldn't suspect a homeless person would be a Mason. But, you know, you, when you're in lodge, you're equal. It doesn't matter. The, the, you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics because everybody, like those are two, you know, the bias of things. Yeah. So, you know, and so, yeah, so they, they teach you all that through the, the initiations as well. Right. So like, that's a big part of the ritual. But did did they walk you around? Like when they first led you in, cause I've read that they basically do like a ritualistic, uh, like cir- circles and zigzags, and it's basically yep. like it, you're blindfolded and you're just aimlessly wandering around, and it's supposed to like give the illusion of like going through the darkness or the labyrinth of life, and you're desperate, you know, for help, and and then you're made to ask to see the light. Yeah. And, and then oh, you're yeah. brought to the east. Yep. Because that's where the sun and the enlightenment is, and the worshipful master. I didn't know if that was just stories or. No, that's that's hundred percent. That's hundred percent. They walk you around blindfolded, um, and they they basically show you off to all the different officers because each officer is in a different chair, and then you have your members spread out throughout the lodge as well. And they're they're walking you around, um, just sh- yeah, three times, uh, showing you to everybody, and at the same time, you know, you're stopping at somebody and describing like something's happening, um, and then yeah, they they get to a point where it's like. Um, what are you in search of is one of the questions. And it's like, I'm in search of, of light. And then they, they take the blindfold off as if you've been brought into the light, you know, um, is, is the symbolism behind it. And it's, it's very blasphemous. <laughs> they, uh, they try to pretend like they're God in a sense, like they're bringing, and they say like that masonry is the only true way uh, is to, uh, like through Hiram Abiff, and his principles as a, as a Freemason is the only way to see, uh, to come into enlightenment is through Hiram Abiff. And I'm like, nah. And even the spiritual I, warfare that's behind it, because if you look, you know, in war, you have ground rules, rules of engagement, you know, women and children off limits, you know, churches yeah. off limits, you know, things like that. Well, the spiritual realm is no different. If you look and it's common themes in uh, your ancient texts, uh, your movies today, uh, look at the vampire movies and stuff. The, the vampire has to be invited in, mm-hmm. right? It can't just come in and just do whatever it wants to do. So, and the same thing if you look at Jesus Christ. He can't just come into your heart. You have to ask him mm-hmm. to come in, you know? And that's basically kind of like what, that's what it reminded me of. Cause it's like you're wandering through the dark and, uh, you're lost and, and you have to request the light. And it's kind of like a, an invitation to the, to that other realm. I mean, it's just kind of when I read that, that's what it reminded me of. Well, yeah, they talk about, um, contracts, right? Um, yeah. How, how like, to for like a demon to or you know 
and, and I hate saying that everything's demonic. Um, cause it's not, it's not ever like, like, but in my, in my experience, it's when you see enough weird, dark stuff, um, it's hard to not make that, that judgment that everything's just, you know, nefarious or demonic or, you know, fallen angel or something like that. You know, it's, it's really hard for me to, to not make that distinction. So I try not to, I try to look at it with a, a little bit more of an open mind than everything is, you know, that goes wrong is demonic, but yeah, you get contracts, man. When you, you, when you really like you use the Ouija board, you're literally giving them a contract to, to screw with you, you know, and then you take these oaths, which you think are, you know, good, but it's your hand on the Bible, taking an oath to an organization that you're never going to divulge your secrets. And if you do, they can murder and torture you. And, you know, and it's like, you're really just opening yourself up to these, these, uh, dark forces being able to, to do whatever they want. And then from there, you know, everything that I've read over the last little while in uh, literature, excuse me, in literature about, uh, you know, generational curses and stuff. It's like with my family, family line and having so many Masons and, and, uh, Eastern star members, even my, uh, my stepdad, uh, Dave, who my mom remarried when I was eight. Uh, even he was a member of a group called the Demole, right. Which is like the, the youth group for Masons. So, um, I got so much of this generational, uh, curses or even just ties to Masonic, uh, Freemasonry. So it's, it's like, it starts to make sense when you start to piece things together. Um, and like I said, like, if you look into the darkness, it'll stare back, you know, cause they want you to look at them. Yeah. You know, you start to see it everywhere. Um, and you start to see people change when they start to look into the darkness and, um, it, it can send you down some deep depression because they want, they want you, they want to take you, right? Like they want you to take your own life because then they own you for eternity. You know, um, so yeah, it's, it's weird with the symbolism and it's just it. ancient too. I mean, like, cause as you look back to the histories, you see these same rituals yeah. throughout many cultures, many religions and cults and stuff like that. Like the whole wandering blindfolded, you know, or in the dark, that's what the, the priests would do at the temple of Asclepius. You know, Asclepius, you know, when you look at the EMS trucks today, you got this staff with a serpent yeah. twisting around it. Well, that's Asclepius. And mm -hmm. people would go with their infirmities to these places. And if they decided to heal you, they'd give you this, you know, poisonous mushroom or whatever drink to make you hallucinate. Then they'd lead you down into labyrinths underneath the temple. And you would have to wander lost until you finally passed out of sleep. And it was loaded with snakes. And the mm -hmm. snakes would reportedly crawl over you and then they would heal you. And then you look mm -hmm. at the, uh, the cult of, uh, Mithras, which he was a sun deity too. Yeah. Rising and resurrecting sun god. Yeah. Uh, they would do their initiation rites in caves in the darkness. Yeah. And you'd be led around through seven stages. And it was, uh, to symbolize the, uh, the seven, uh, spheres which were the planets because they thought that when you died, you had to journey through these sacred spheres one at a time and each time being bestowed a gift until you reach the seventh heaven. And if you, that's where the judgment is. And if you, as you used earlier, if you're not blackballed, you get to stay. But mm -hmm. if you're blackballed, 
then boom, reincarnation. You got to go back and start over again. Do not pass go. Yeah. Do not click two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reincarnation is an interesting idea, actually. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I feel about that as a as a belief system. I I used to kind of think that it would be a cool idea, but then I'm like, you know, life sometimes is so hard that it's like I don't know if I <laughs> if I'd even want to come back if I had the choice. Uh, you know, especially the, the way this world's been going. So yeah, but yeah, like even like they don't talk about it much. Um, in Freemasonry, but you could basically be any religion and get in, right? Like you can, you can uh, request to have, if you're Muslim, you could have the Quran instead of the Bible. Uh, if you're a Jewish, you can have the Torah in, uh, instead of the Bible, you know, they um, refer to the sacred law, right? Yeah. Like it's, they call it the it's, three great, the three great lights. When you approached the, the worshipful master, it was sacred law, the square and compass. And yeah, number one, I think. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, so you can, you can basically, the way they do it too, the reason they do that is you just have to believe in a supreme being. Um, it doesn't matter what name you give your God. Um, you can be any, basically. Uh, anything except for Satanism, I believe it is, but which is, which is funny because um, from my end, like, again, so I stopped at the third degree. I was going to, I started the process of getting in um, because you have different sectors. You've got Scottish Rite, which actually goes up to the 33rd degree. Then there's two different 33rd degrees. There's uh, an honorary third, uh, 33rd, and then there's an, uh, an active 33rd. And so my lodge had a lot of 33rds, 32nds, because, again, most of my lodge, the guys were in the 60s at that point, 60s and 70s. So some guys were even in their nineties and some of the lodges because um, they would travel from their lodge to my lodge because they had friends in my lodge. And so they're trying to keep it alive. And, um, but so I was going to go into the Scottish, right? Uh, the York, right? Is actually where the uh, Knights, Knights Templar are. Uh, that's uh, not sure. Can't remember what Shriners. So then there's the Shriners, which is another separate one. And it's, it's so funny. Cause it's like, I started to see, some of these people like, and it's confusing because you got like that guy that went down to Peru to do missionary work. It's like, he's literally doing Jesus's work by going down and helping people and spreading the, you know, the gospel. Um, but then on the other side of things, he's, it's, you know, he's part of this organization that uh, on the backside of things is pretty nefarious. And I, I always, I started to kind of piece things together because, um, so the Scottish right here in the area that I live in, they run all the blood donor clinics surprisingly enough. And you've got your Shriners Children's Hospitals, which is you know run by the Shriners. Um, so it's stuff that is disguised, again, out in the open, hiding in plain sight as being good. And, and I'm sure they do a lot of good, these children's hospitals, not to you know say that everybody that works there is, is bad, but I'm sure there's a lot of weird things that happen in these places. You know, same thing with like the, the blood donor clinics, like how we had a blood shortage all of a sudden, right? And then... It's like you guys just ran like ten blood clinics this year. How how is it that we have a blood shortage? Um, so it's like, it gets me wondering, like, what are they doing with with these the the blood that they even donate? And then the real weird one for me is the Masonic Chip Program, which is like a a program where they'll take uh, like DNA, hair samples, fingerprints, dental records, pictures, uh, whatever of your child, and so that if your child ever goes missing. The cops have a full profile that they can start to, to try to track down your child with. And it's like, okay, that sounds good on the surface, but now you're literally just giving all this personal information about your child to who the heck knows, 
you know, and who knows what they're going to do with it. And it's like people are warning you to put pictures of your house and your children and, and their sporting events on your social media because they can get kidnapped easily, you know. And meanwhile, you got parents that are, are giving away DNA. Up. Yeah, like you know, like uh, no, you know. And and why why is it why is it that they're so fascinated with DNA and blood? Well, you know, like for me, I'm an O blood type. You know, I'm a universal donor, and it's. Um, so it's like they always used to love my blood, but then they changed their regulations about a decade a decade ago, where they won't take my blood because I had cancer as, as a child. So it's uh, you know now they're like, oh now your your blood's tainted. I'm like, oh all of a sudden it's tainted. Okay, great. Like <laughs> I'm like I'm sure if you needed it that bad, you would be taking it because you know it's been 30 years now that I've you know been cancer free, guys. So yeah, you know, but. Yeah, it's, it's so you get these weird, or, you know, nefarious organizations, in, in my opinion, um, disguised as good. So after you, uh, after you finish your uh, first degree and you go through that initiation, uh, you're given your apron. Yes, and you it's still have plain, your apron. So, but well, yours is special. For, yeah, so there's there's different aprons for every degree. Uh, the first degree is literally just a plain white lamb's uh, apron nothing on it. Um, and that's the one you, you'll wear. They don't even give you that. That's just literally just, uh, at the lodge. So uh, when you come to l the lodge meeting, they have um, the first and second degree aprons just laid there for the members that are in those degrees. Just grab one, put it on, and, and you can go into the lodge. And then they kick you out for about an hour or two when they're doing the master mason stuff. The second degree is uh, same thing, plain white lamb skin apron with uh, just basically two blue circles at the bottom of it, and it might have blue around the trim, and then that's it. And then the third degree gets a little bit more intricate, and this is actually what it looks like. So a second degree won't have any of this, won't have the tassels. It literally just have these two on it, and first degree is literally just the center white piece. That's it. And then... I've got the gold around the edges of mine and the tassels are gold. Um, and what that represents is that the lodge that I was a member of and even has uh, on the button, I don't know if that'll show up, but the Masonic yeah. symbol on the button there. Um, uh, the gold represents that my lodge has been around for over a hundred years. So if your lodge is younger than a hundred years old, it's actually silver around all the edges and the tassels. And then uh, once you hit a hundred, they give you, you switch over to a gold one, which I didn't know for the first two years that I was in, in the brotherhood. Um, but I happened to go another, to another lodge that a guy that I worked with was a member of, and he was going, they were doing their, uh, their chairs. So they, they were rotating their officers through the chairs that night. Um, and he was becoming an officer. So I went to go support him. I'm looking at his apron. I'm like, dude, I'm like, what's with the silver? Somebody's <laughs> like, man, yours is all tricked out, bro. Yeah, right? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, our lodge is only, I think their lodge was 86 years old or something like that at the time. So they were, they were getting there. They are getting there. Uh, but they, so they give you that. They keep, you get to keep that. You also get uh, a pair of white gloves with the symbol on it as well. Um, most times they don't, some lodges don't even require you to wear them. Um, I think I've only, <laughs> only wore these twice. Um, and then the real cool, interesting, blasphemous thing that they give you is a Master Mason's Holy Bible. So Master Mason's uh, edition on it. And so the first, the whole first chapter is actually just literally the Master Mason's chapter. It talks about everything uh, 
Master Mason talks about like the different degrees. And so when I was on the Silver Pill podcast, I just happened to open the page uh, and look. And first, what I saw was Illuminati. And then when I was on this, the That's So Fringy podcast, I couldn't find it. So I made a note that this one, I wanted to, to actually get it just to prove my point that, uh, let's see if I can get it on camera. I don't know. But it literally says Illuminati in there and it talks about yeah. Illuminati. And so, you know, it says, uh, like, this is questions and answers. Like, what's the Illuminati? What does it signify? And the answer is the enlightened. That's what the, that, that's literally what their description of the Illuminati is, is the yeah. enlightened ones. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's very vague, poor, poor explanation of it. Right. Um, but yeah, so you have a whole other chapter. You get, you get this Bible. Um, and again, you could, uh, if you know, you're Muslim, they would have a, a probably a Quran mm -hmm. version for you. So, um, those are the things that give you. And then I got, I paid for the emblem for my car myself. Uh, the ring, uh, that was a gift to me. Uh, the Grand Lodge, so just what happened on the night that I was getting, they call it, so you were saying like they, they raise you up, right? So uh, you're the third degree. So um, once they kill you, they resurrect you. They raise you up. So that's where the phrase, uh, I was raised. So like you have, uh, I was initiated. Then second degree is I was passed. And then the third degree is I was raised. So you're basically being raised from the dead, uh, becoming a whole new person, blah, blah, blah. So on the night that I had my third degree ceremony, one of the Grand Lodge members uh, of Canada just happened to be there doing his rounds because they have to do rounds at every lodge. Um, so I ended up getting uh, an honorary Canadian flag Masonic pin. Um, and then I also have a uh, sterling silver pin that was... Uh, I believe this was my grandfather's. Now that uh, I know who is. Oh wow! Yeah, sterling silver tie pin. So uh, my mom actually gave me this because um, they didn't keep anything else um, after everybody passed away. They got rid of everything. Uh, so like, it, well, with those aprons, you know, is there any like? Uh, are you aware of like? Uh, did they tell you about any of the? Uh, the symbolism or the representations of it when they gave it to you? They, they do. Um, I can't remember offhand. I have, so in this book, uh, this black book here, it's pretty thick, but it's all the different rituals. Okay. The only challenge with it is that if you can see, everything's in dashes and acronyms. Oh, okay. It's coded. So it's coded. So if you don't remember it, it's hard to, to really like this, this does nothing for you. Like this is what they give you to uh, learn uh, the different parts of the ceremonies and the yeah. rituals. Right? And I'm like, well, this doesn't help me. <laughs> like <laughs> as a new person, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I don't, I don't know what half of this means. So um, I had a buddy who referred me to a website. He also had handwritten notes, which is technically against uh, your oath. You're not supposed to write anything down, um, carve it, and a stone, nothing like it's, you know, uh, that's part of the, the obligations that you're not going to do any of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, they, I know that they do again, that's when they're walking you around, like the, your, your oath ritual side of things is maybe like 20 minutes. And then the, the rest of your, uh, initiation or being past the second degree or being raised to the third degree is literally them just explaining everything to you. And they do it. So like, it's so much, and you're meeting, 
literally, I just, it's like, oh, I just worked a 10 hour shift at work. I got to go home, shower, get changed, go to the lodge meeting. And then I got to be there for like three hours while they're lecturing me. There's mass um, amounts of data. So much, right. That like, and, and as a 25 year old at this point, like I just, I didn't care about it that much that I, I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, you're trying to make then, business connections. Yeah. Like I was just trying, like I was there mainly for the, the boys club, right? Like I didn't, I didn't care to get lectured. Like that was one of the reasons I, I hated church so much was like getting, yeah. getting lectured, you know? So, um, it, to me, like that's, I almost kind of like, it's, it was very similar in that stance. Like it's, there was a lot of sit and stand, there was no kneeling, but there was a lot of sitting and standing and sitting and standing and, you know, and, and saying different phrases and stuff like that. And it really reminded me of church in that sense. So, but they do have like a whole, whole lectures, like, uh, then the, you know, like the, uh, like you, I just opened a page that right to the beginning says the work. Yeah. And, uh, it's like, you are encouraged, uh, you are to encourage industry and reward merit, supply the wants and relieve the necessities of brethren and fellows to the utmost of your power and ability and on no account wrong them or see them wrong, but apprise them of approaching danger and view their interests as inseparable from your own. Such is the nature of your engagements as craftsmen. And, and these duties are, you are now bound by the most sacred ties to observe. And then it's like, you will now take your seat to, for the evening to the right of the worshipful master and the left of all the senior brethren present. So it's like, and then they, you know, they literally go through like, uh, like more raised, like they talk about, uh, you know, the same thing, like the, what's the, the, compass allude to what's the square allude to what's jacob's ladder because they talk about jacob's ladder in, in masonry that's Dude. in the second uh I the believe second so, yeah. degree because i was about to ask because i know the second degree i read in albert pike's book said that there was a uh, a winding staircase with seven steps and that when you take the initiation of the second degree you are led and you ascend up this winding staircase of seven steps, which again goes back to, you know, the seven sacred sciences, the seven planetary spheres of Mithra, you're ascending. Yep. And yep. Uh, once you get there, you're, you get the reward or the wages. That's the word. You get the wages of your work, which yeah. is corn, wine, and oil. And it said the corn yeah. is your sustenance because we all need bread. Uh, the wine, uh, symbolizes uh happy good times and uh, the oil was uh i think joyfulness or, or something like that but basically it was saying that for doing the work which is good deeds you th these are your just rewards you know it's the first time i've heard that in about a decade <laughs> <laughs> you've done your research you've done yeah. your research that's definitely a, a deep dive into that yeah. actually that's that's good i like that All right, guys, stick around. Part two is on the way. If you are not an all-access pass holder, I encourage you to do so. Head on over to PrometheusLensPodcast.com. Sign up for that all-access pass. This mini-series is not going to be for the general public. I'm going to give bits and pieces out for free, but the majority of this content is going to be for the all-access pass holders. A lot of time and effort and hours of study went into this and i want to this is my way of saying thank you to those that enjoy the work and contribute and help keep the lights on 
So this is my way of thanking you guys doing things like this. So uh, if you're not a member, head on over. 33 cents a day. Get you all access pass to members only episodes. 48 hour early access to all episodes of private communities. Monthly chats and Q&As and so much more. Lots of big plans in the future. So if you guys uh, can't you know, afford to do that or choose not to do that and you just want to listen, I appreciate you too. Just if you can, head on over to wherever you consume your podcasts and uh, give, give me a five-star rating. Uh, share my work with others. Help me grow the show. And I would be extremely thankful for that as well. Until next time, torches high.